And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 15, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you doing today? I'm doing really well. Uh, spent the day at the track today, watching a little IndyCar, and, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite places to be. It's not at the Arch Madness, and uh, had a little bit of a situation I wanted to ask you about. Okay. See what your opinion was. So, people at Worldwide Technology Raceway in Madison, Illinois, did a great job, you know, assigned tickets based on social distancing and stuff like that. We get to our seats today, and there's these three young men sitting in front of us. And being with the pandemic, I'm a little bit paranoid about it. I finally say something to them because there's like three tiers. There's like the upper tier of tickets. There's the middle tier, and then the lower tier in terms of pricing is all general admission. And there's like specific areas where you're supposed to sit. I'm middle tier. So I asked these guys, like, hey, are you sure these are your seats? Well, I mean, you can have them if you want. I'm like, well, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, if those are your seats, that's fine. But I paid extra for these so that I would be socially distanced. So they were general admission, so they didn't really have assigned seats in that. They weren't supposed to be in that area. So I kind of chased them off. So in your opinion, was I the old man get off my lawn guy or was i justified that you know they were kind of gambling playing the general admission like hey we'll sit until we get chased out roll so am i the old man or was i justified what do you think well i can see both ways um because i know sitting in the general admission i mean i've done that before at college games i'll just sit there till somebody tells me to move but on your on your side of things no i mean that's where your seats were and i mean in, in this day and age right now i mean with everything going on i i think you were worthy of you know telling them to move especially right. especially if you know obviously it was not a you know the crowd was not at capacity you know sold out oh, no so near. so clearly those guys could have went and found a different spot to sit in if it wasn't their seats so I, to be honest i'm not sure why they sat there anyway because, yeah, if, as I said, I've sat in other seats that weren't mine, but it was also a little bit more crowded, too. But if you have all that yeah. open space, go f- go sit somewhere else where the, you're not near anybody. Yeah. Like, you play that, you, you're kind of gambling whenever you're <clears throat> sitting in someone else's seat, you're like, or even where you're not supposed to. And you kind of know that's the, the risk you run, so to speak. Well, sure. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, we'll just get chased out of here and we'll be on our way. Much rather that, you know, the old guy says something to you as opposed to going and getting security and then you're really have to go sit someplace else. Yeah. No, so, I, but how are you doing today? Not doing too bad. Uh, had a pretty uh, relaxed day today. Didn't do a whole lot. Watched uh, some Major League Baseball and NBA playoffs today. Uh, we're going to have Antonius Cleveland on uh, today, or he'll be on the show. We caught up with him earlier in the week, and he got into the game today, and I think he had he had four points, and uh, I think it was game game five. So he got into the game and uh, had a dunk and got some minutes in there, so it was nice to see him get in. Uh, but yeah. I think everybody will like the interview. Um, I know we enjoyed talking to him earlier in the week, and – uh, it was just great uh, hearing his thoughts on the bubble and basically his memories at SEMO. Right. It was a it was a really enjoyable visit with him, for sure. So we'll have that interview during the episode this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, also during this episode, 
we're going to do a Mount Rushmore on coaches. So we've, we've done players, and you know, on most episodes, but this week we're doing a Mount Rushmore on coaches during the 2000, you know, 2010 decade, essentially. Um, but the, the thing with the decade is you had to have, well, at least on my end, I'm not sure about yours, TJ, but for the coaches that I picked, you had to have coached at least three years in the Ohio Valley during that 10 year span. Yeah. All mine did too. And I figured even if you spanned decades, if your success in that decade was a big deal. So if you were, you know, successful in the early two thousands, but that didn't translate into 2010s and I didn't really kind of transfer that over either. I, I try to keep it from 2010 to this last season, which would have been 10 seasons. Exactly. So yeah, like for example, like Billy Kennedy, uh, Great time, great career at Murray State. Um, he's not in this this decade, Mount Rushmore, just because he coached the majority of his years before 10, 2010 at Murray State. Um, so just to clarify that. So we'll get into our Mount Rushmore uh, segment here um, towards the end of the show, and uh, we'll go from there. But we'll go ahead and uh, give you the interview from uh, Antonius Cleveland when we caught up to him earlier in the week. And we are joined by former Southeast Missouri State Guard and current Dallas Mavericks Guard, Antonius Cleveland. Antonius, thanks for coming on. How are things with you? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, everything is pretty good my way. Uh, just enjoying the off day, kind of, and just chilling in my room here in Orlando, like I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine it's, things are pretty different right now, especially being in the bubble. You can't go out and do... You know, a lot of things that you guys would usually do on your off day. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to my – I want to go to the game tonight for the first time. I'm going to see Portland and the Lakers play. Go watch kind of the first half of that. And on the score, I'll stay. But, you know, it's uh, my first time going to a game. So I'm kind of excited about that. It's something to look forward to while I've been here, something like that. I'm sure it's nice to have something to look forward to, a little something different to do than your normal routine at this point. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm kind of excited. Definitely. Good. So uh, we'll get into it here. Uh, you come to SEMO, uh, you're recruited by Coach Dickey Knott and his staff. What was it that made you want to start your career in Cape Girardeau? Was it Coach Knott's style of play or the success that you'd seen them having? What was it that drew you to SEMO? Um, I'll say it was, uh, well, for one, it was Coach Nutt, uh, but what really led that was the assistant named Jamie Ross, who was from Memphis, and uh-huh. he was uh, my my PE teacher uh, in high school, and he took the job at Timo going into my junior year. So uh, once I spoke with him, and I mean, it just felt like the right fit. And it was like five other players from Memphis at the time, and I knew all five too, so it was kind of like a no-brainer, as well as that being my first offer. Um, all of it just kind of just played pretty well. And I just, once I heard that they offered me, I just committed, shut it down, and <laughs> I was just ready to go. It was my first offer. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like, uh, I know while you were there, and you probably played a couple seasons with most of them, but I think Tyler Stone was from Memphis, Tariqus Bradley, mm-hmm. and Nino Johnson. I mean, it was a, SEMO was a hotbed for Memphis players. Definitely was. Uh, I think that's credit to uh, Coach Nutt and as well as Coach Ross being from the city. And uh, those three players that you named are also, you know, pretty close to one another too. So that could have been also something that led to it. 
um, as well. But at one point in time, definitely, uh, Simo was definitely uh, you know a high place for a Memphis, Memphis player who flew under the radar, of course, about the players that the Tigers got, but definitely, uh, definitely was a pipeline. So during your time at SEMO, uh, I mean, you had the unfortunate luck of having to play under a different coach than the one that recruited you. As a player, how hard is it to have to adapt to a different head coach's style play in college since you had both Coach Dickie Nutt and Rick Ray in that span of four years? And how difficult is it for a player to see the coach that you basically came to the campus for, you know, be let go? Um, I think, personally, in my opinion, uh, when you get a new coach, uh, the first thing you just want to, you know, see what kind of person and what kind of guy he is, you know, because off the court is just as important, you know, as on the court. So I got to know Coach Nutt. I mean, well, I did know Coach Nutt, but after the fire, I got to know Coach Ray, and it was kind of, you know, he was, you know, pretty much younger than Coach Nutt, and he was way more disciplined and kind of like hands-on. Coach Nutt was like an older, you know, relaxed, laid-back kind of guy. And with Coach Ray, you got um, someone who was coming in and was more disciplined and just a minor detail thing. So that's what I first picked up on him. But uh, which is something that I felt could help us win as well. So it wasn't a big of a deal for me. And um, just once I got to know him and um, just learning what kind of offense we were running, I was I was pretty much ready to stay put. Honestly, because I was like, I mean, I'm here now. Why not? I want to continue to kind of be the first option on the team before I go somewhere else. So I just wanted to give it a try and kind of worked out. <laughs> so it's no, it's no secrets that your, your talent level was probably on, on another level compared to most OBC players. Today we see so many guys transferring schools. It's growing every year. You know, the, the transfer portals become almost like free agency. What made you stay at SEMO instead of testing those waters for a larger school? Uh, that might be in a, in a larger conference and kind of get you some more exposure. I mean, you kind of alluded to it there with wanting to be the first option, but was there anything besides that that went into that decision or that idea not uh, to even consider it? I just, I just didn't want to take a risk. Like I was kind of loved at CMO and was pretty much shaping to kind of be, you know, kind of like my team. And I just didn't want to, you know, risk that and go somewhere else. Cause you know, they say the grass isn't always greener. So I didn't want to like get in a situation where I go to this school and they tell me this and tell me that. And boom, it's kind of different than what they told me. But uh, I kind of, that was probably pretty much the reason. Another reason was I couldn't see myself just sitting out of her ear just working out. Like, uh, like I like I like to play, so <laughs> I'm not a big workout guy either. So I was like, you know what? I want to be playing in games next year. I don't think I can just sit out and just watch. So that was also something that, <laughs> that led me to, to just stay there. So definitely, I just wanted to play, man. I couldn't just sit out for a whole year. I mean, that would have been you know, devastating to me. Yeah, I mean, you see so many players, especially, you know, this past year, and I'm sure it's just going to continue to grow that, you know, you have players, you know, with like your talent that you had, they'll they'll test the waters and then they'll go to like a, a big E school or what have you. And then they have to sit out that year, which, yeah, it may get them more ma- mature, you know, being able to practice or work out that whole off season. But then you wonder if, uh, if they'll still have that same pep that they had, you know, playing back-to-back years. Because, I mean, you know, just working out on an off-season is a lot different than being in that game speed, you know, back-to-back years. I definitely agree. Definitely. I mean, I feel like it works. It comes through for a certain amount of, of people who can, you know, transfer to a bigger school and, you know, find even more success. 
But I think a lot of times it's just players just want him to, you know, go to a bigger name, bigger school. I think that kind of leads their decision. They don't really take it into effect. Like, um, I'm a better player here, and, you know, I have a better opportunity here. So, I mean, I kind of – being on the opposite of that, trying to make that decision, I, I, I can't say it's probably tougher than I'll think about versus someone like me who didn't make it. So, um, but, I mean, you do see a lot of a lot of players, you know, leaving. Or you know what specific reasons I'm not sure, but I mean it seems like that that list does grow more and more each year for some reason. But it's definitely a popular trend now, and I think it works out for the best um, for a slight few uh, players in my opinion. And some kind of just get lost and have decent careers at the biggest school versus you know why not just I guess waiting it out and seeing what you can do at your mid major or whatnot. So I kind of think it's just a tricky situation in my opinion, kind of. Okay. So do you think the OVC gets enough exposure or recognition for, you know, the talent level that is there? I mean, you've seen in recent years, besides yourself, you know, you got Robert Covington, Kenneth Freed, Ian Clark, you know, then you got the guards from Murray State, John Morant, Isaiah Cannon, Campaign, and the list goes on and on with Lester Hudson and Kevin Murphy, who have all seen time in the NBA. You know, with with that list of, you know, you know, premier players in the OVC that have made a name for themselves at the upper levels, do you think the OVC gets enough uh, recognition? I don't think so. Um, honestly, I don't think so. You can just point back to when Mary won all those games. I think like 27, 28 in a row and they didn't get in. So <clears throat> I think people are in love with, you know, the, the power of five schools and whatnot. Um, I think we all know that, but... <laughs> I definitely, I definitely uh, don't think that you know people get enough. The OVC gets enough exposure because there are a lot of good players um, yearly, and you know, night in night out, it's a lot of good NBA talent uh, level players who say at least you know see some NBA time because of the talent is there. But um, definitely, don't I, I agree? I, I don't think they get enough credit at all. Well, because when you look at, especially, well, I guess there really wasn't a tournament this year, so you go two years back, you know. Belmont got in with, you know, an at-large, which was great to see because then it meant the OVC had two teams in, and it had been, you know, years since the Ohio Valley had multiple teams in the NCAA tournament. So it was great to see the committee, you know, rewarded uh, a team that did not win the conference tournament a spot in, you know, March Madness because Belmont showed that, you know, they proved they could be there because they won that play-in game. Definitely. Uh, it was a shock, but I was kind of happy. I didn't know whether they would do it or not, just off, just what I think, how they, you know, didn't let Mary in or whatever. But um, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know if they felt like they didn't want to make that mistake again because once they realized, you know, Dick Vitale got involved and everyone just was, didn't agree with Mary not getting in there. So I think they got it right this time. And I was happy, you know, for Rick Barrett and just always see the hope to get an automatic bid, you know, finally. Um, pretty good to see coming from like alumni so thinking about your own playing days obviously you're going to draw the top defensive player and be the focus of you know the other team's defensive efforts is who did you think was the toughest defensive player that you went up against while you were at SEMO and you know you just knew he was going to make it tough to score or maybe he elevated your game as well because you knew that you were going to be challenged um I would have to say probably um, uh, the question is kind of tough because you know everyone everyone thinks no one can guard them or 
have a chance. But I'll probably have to say Jacksonville State defense as a whole my senior year was something like was pretty much the best defense I went against as a team because they just, you know, rotated and they had like a rim protector. So they and I think they and they went on to win in my senior year as well. Um, I think they end up playing Louisville in the first round of the year, but yes, I say yeah. their entire team. Which I don't know. Uh, I, for, I forget the coach's name. They came from WKU. Do you all remember his name? I can't. Is it Ray Ray Harper? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Say it again. What's his name? Ray Harper. Ray Harper. Yes, exactly. He had those guys. He had. Oh, that was a that was a pretty good team. Uh, so he had those guys defensively. I think Greg Tucker will, will be guarding me, if I'm not mistaken, but and Malcolm Drummond, but just all those guys. I think I struggled both games. I think the first game I struggled, and even in the tournament, I didn't really have too much to get up a game. So I can't really just name a particular player, but I have to say um, just Jacksonville State's defense as a whole, especially my senior and stuff. Yeah, and they uh, they made it tough on Louisville in that ter- in that first game as well. I remember – I was standing in the Las Vegas sports book during that game, and, you know, you got all these, you know, probably guys that are throwing tons of money on Louisville to to win the game, and Jacksonville State's chipping away, covering that spread, and people are losing their mind in there. I'm like, well, you know, you haven't watched them this year. Yeah, their record may not be that much further above 500, but, you know, they play teams close. <laughs> yeah, they were a pretty good team. Definitely they were a pretty good team. I was kind of glad to see someone besides Belmont get it too. So whenever Belmont lost, it was kind of like a shock to me throughout my four years there. Because I mean, Eric Barrett, it was just kind of like a well-worn machine man, on offense, and they really just used to beat a lot of teams. But man, right, right, right that team Harper had was pretty, was pretty tough. Definitely one of the toughest teams I went against. Man, it was, it was tough. It was tough. So, what was your favorite memory playing at Semo? Could be your biggest highlight, team win, or anything else. Uh, no question. My freshman year um, against Mary State, um, I think we went into like a double overtime. And me being a freshman with Coach Nutt, I kind of wasn't like the first option or nothing because we were so. I think that's the year we would pick to win it. So I'm a freshman starter, and I'm just someone who just going to play defense and, you know, get in the passing lane, get shields and whatnot. Coach Nutt, Coach Nutt really never, never never ran any plays or anything like that. But that game, uh, a lot of people fouled out. I think Tyler Song fouled out. Lucas Nutt fouled out. Um, maybe maybe uh, JV fouled out. I don't know. I just remember everyone fouled out, and I had to play point guard the last uh, overtime man. And uh, I did pretty good. My whole family was there, and we beat them. We beat Mary in the double overtime game. And, and uh, I think I led the team scoring at the first minute. And I just was so happy that everyone had fouled out, and I just knew I was just kind of just do whatever. So I, and my family was there. Everyone rushed the court. It was it was great. Yeah, I was there. Uh... I was watching in the stands for that game. Brother-in-law and sister went down for it. And, I mean, it was electric in there. Yeah, I mean, it, it should have been electric because of how great of a game it was. But just back and yeah. forth. And I think each team only really went eight players deep. So, I mean, mm-hmm. every, each each player had a lot of minutes logged in that game. <laughs> yeah, playing Mary was, like, the best. Like, I, never, I had no idea what Mary State even was until I went on my visit. But so just knowing that soon I got there, okay, we hate Mary. Mary hates like that's the rival. That was just dope because you now you get rivals in high school and having a rival at that level. And I mean, the game used to be packed. You could tell because the Seawall game was never really as packed as the Mary game, which sure. you know stood for so much more playing that team and just 
big games. And like you said, it was electric, man. And they were pretty good. And the crowd was into it. And it was, it was just pretty much what you dreamed of, especially me as a teenager, being a freshman. Like, okay, this is what college basketball is. And this was great, man. I think about that game all the time, honestly. Now, before so, we move on like here real this. quick, TJ, uh, if unless I'm mistaken, I believe you had a a game winner or it made it go to overtime down in Tennessee Martin. Was that correct? Oh, uh, yeah. And that was, a, that, that was a pivotal game because I think that was really a must-win game in that spot to, for conference standing-wise going down the stretch. And that was a, it was a hell of a shot. Definitely. Definitely. I think that was a big game for UT Martin as well. But uh, definitely it was a big game. And UT Martin was pretty good as well. We struggled with, you know, them as well. But forgot about that game. Definitely it was a good game. I should have. Wow, well, I forgot about that game. Game winner. <laughs> my bad. I, I'm getting I'm getting close to the point with something I can't remember. If stuff happened my freshman year or my second year, but I, I do recall that happened my freshman year because I remember Lucas being on the court. So that was definitely a... Definitely, I forgot about that half-court shot. Man, that's my first game winner, honestly, I think, <laughs> in my life. So, it was a crazy game. So, did you have a favorite place to play when within league play, whether you just felt comfortable there or you, you, you alluded to the atmosphere at Murray State? Was there someplace that you kind of looked forward to playing to on the road? I kind of looked forward to playing at Belmont just because um, we will always go there around New Year's for some reason. And we will also, like, stay a couple of days. You know, Nashville itself was, like, kind of close to Memphis, but it was just, like, a nice city compared to the other compared to the other um, OBC schools in the conference. So just playing there. And Belmont didn't play any defense, so I knew I could pretty much have a, <laughs> a good night. We just had to get some stops. So I would always look forward to playing there. And uh, I had to say Austin, Key because it was kind of close to home, and, you know, right. their fans were... Their fans pretty much into it a lot, and they talk to you, talk talk smack to you throughout the game. So probably Bell Money, Austin P was kind of the two places that I enjoy playing. Okay. Uh, so you were known for your highlight reel dunks in college. Uh, what were the emotions like winning the Dark Horse Dunker competition, which I think was a fan vote amongst, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the whole country, and while also being a participant in the College Slam Dunk Contest? But uh, me being, I remember when I was asked that if I wanted to like participate in it, they kind of just broke it down and like we'll vote on you, blah blah blah. And I was like, sure, why not? I had no idea that I would actually, let alone win it, but actually make it that far. And I think the community and Kate cared more than me and Simo itself. So I was, it was dope to win that for for, the, for them if that makes sense versus myself because. I like to dunk, but, like, I've never been, like, a, a big guy on, like, all I know how to do is pretty much two dunks, a windmill and maybe between legs. I've never been just fascinated with dunking and whatnot. So I was kind of unsure about the contest because I didn't I, cause I didn't think myself I was good enough of a dunker, especially watching dunk contests and stuff like that. I didn't have any tricks. But once I saw how much the school and the CMO and the fans were invested, I was like, okay, I want to win this thing for them and go represent CMO. So it was kind of dope to win that, definitely. And as far as the contest, a lot of people don't know, but I broke my finger at that dunk contest, and I couldn't go to, like, Portsmouth Invitational and whatnot. And started my draft workout kind of late, so that's the kind of, like, only bummer about going there. But I, mean, I, I still met a lot of good people and had a great time, but... I did break my finger, and that kind of sucked. But wow. I kind of really was mad that I don't get there. But I did enjoy it, though, nonetheless. 
Wow. Yeah, that's got so, that's got to be tough go ahead. for sure. Get to a get to an event like that, and then then you break your finger, and then you're like, well, I wonder how yeah. that's going to affect you know the workouts after this. But and I think between me and you all, I think my agent jinxed me because he mentioned something about it, and I'm like, what? I've never. How can I like? I'm thinking in my head like, yeah, I'm gonna break my finger at a at a dunk contest, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> that's what happens. So, uh, I know he ain't trying to do enough, but that was just crazy. I definitely was. I missed Portsmouth. I was kind of like down about that because I wanted to represent, you know, myself and Simo at an event like that amongst the seniors. But um, I'm a firm believer in everything that happens for a reason. So I kind of got over it quick once I got started with, you know, the draft process. Well, I guess the question is, is he still your agent after he jinxed you like that? Man, like, I didn't even, I think he knows. <laughs> that, oh, to be honest, he's not, but he's still my friend. I actually okay. I got, a, I got a new agent since then, but... My first agent, I mean, the relationship I built with him and my mom that he has, he's always, like, a friend of the family. So he's not my agent anymore, but not because of that. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) So going back to your days at Cape, did you have a a place that you like to go to to eat? Uh, Because we're we're big foodies, obviously, before we got on. I was talking to you about some great places in Memphis, but whether it be Mm -hmm. in Cape Girardeau or... Toshinet lets you go to someplace nice on the road, maybe in Nashville or anything like that, someplace that stands out to you? Um, in Cape, I used to love Applebee's. You know, uh, in college, you don't have as much money. So right. you always try to find the deals. And they had, I think they had some kind of deal involving like the, like the appetizer deal. I think it was like 10 bucks after a certain time. So I would always go there and get um, the bonus wings and fries, as well as the Buffalo Wild Wings, too, on the Tuesday or Thursday. But Cape has so many nice places to eat in now, like so, so many. But those were my the two main spots that I will always be at. Was that's another reason what led me to go to Seal too. When I went to Cape and saw the places they had, I saw all of the um, restaurants that they had as well, and just so many. And it's, it's really a cool place, honestly. And I think it's like one of the best season best season in the conference outside of Nashville, which I feel, I feel like doesn't count, but. Cape has a lot of great food, a food place to eat from, definitely. Yeah, I mean, when you when you get off the interstate in Cape, I mean, it, it's just, you know, one right Every after day. the other. I mean, you see them all at one time. It's like, man, I got so many choices. And then, yeah, now you got to make a quick decision, too, because <laughs> that light is right there. So it's like, man, where do I want to go? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're currently with the Dallas Mavericks right now. Um I know we had mentioned at the beginning of the show, but kind of take us through like a take us through your day. Like, what is it like being in the bubble down in Orlando? You know, maybe like what it's like on game day, or you know, your off day if you have a shoot around, or you know. Um. Well, every day. Well, a regular off day. Uh, as of now, like throughout the playoffs, the off day means I have a. I'm going to the gym on the off day because it's optional, but you know. I go to everything optional because I feel like I'm not where I want to be yet to really just sleep in when I could be in the gym. So I go there optional, but on a regular off day, man, it's just uh, we have a, we have a meeting, a team meeting maybe to look at what happened the night before or um, to look at the upcoming game, and then you're off for the rest of the day. I mean, some people go golfing. A lot of people on this thing go golfing. Have kind of like an older team. Um, some people go fishing. But I'm not a golfer. I went fishing once since I've been here. But so for me, it's just nap, play the games, 
nap, watch TV, talk on the phone, but I'm just in my room a lot because I'm not like a, a big fisher and the pool's not big enough for me to go swimming about. So I kind of, I'm always in my room. Like tonight's my first time leaving. So, um, and on a game day, we have shoot around sometimes and leave, go to the gym, come back, and then we just, and, and me, when with me, I just nap, watch TV until it's time to take that first bus to the game. So I kind of been in my room since I was there a lot, honestly, but I'm kind of a homebody anyway. So I'm always at home outside of the world. So just a lot less, less more space, but I mean, I'm in my natural habitat pretty much. Just catching up on a lot of sleep, it sounds like right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, have a, I have a one-year-old, too, so I'm never going to get this opportunity again for this long to sleep like I want to by myself. So <laughs> I kind of keep that in mind a lot, too. So I definitely, I, I've been doing a lot of sleeping, but lately I've been trying to just um, stretch my day out since it's coming to an end and just kind of just enjoy everything and whatnot because I'm not sure if, if this will be like this again. So, has there been anyone uh, on the team that's kind of taking you under their wing, showing you the ropes, so to speak, and kind of taught you how to be a professional? Um, on this, my, my, my rookie year, I'll say it was Wesley Matthews. Um, he kind of kind of took me in a lot and just taught me so much as far as like being a basketball player. But um, this year, uh, not really. I mean, I learned some others like I follow suit you know I know to be on time now and I say a lot of vets lead the way and they show you like how to be a professional even without showing you or telling you directly so I'm the kind of person I just pay attention and stuff like that but my first year I didn't want to say Wesley Matthews kind of taught me a lot on and off the court and whatnot so is is there anybody that you know that you played basketball with at SEMO any of your college teammates that you still stay in touch with um, yes, I stay in touch with all, all the seniors from my senior year. Uh, Jamal Calvin, Joel, Trey Kellum. Uh, we kind of have a group message, and we all pretty much stay in touch. I still talk to a couple of players after me, like Daniel Simmons. I kind of hosted him on his visit at CMO, so kind of have a relationship with him. And uh, I know you all remember, like, Taj Edie. He was, like, a freshman my senior yeah. year. He transferred. So I kind of I keep in touch with a lot of the players, but more so than none, I talk to my seniors that I graduated with a little more. We took a couple trips together and whatnot, and um, I got some brothers in them. So I'm going to probably have a special relationship with them going forward. Talk to them all the time. Okay. Well, I tell you what, uh, I know you got a game tomorrow night against the Clippers. Best of luck to you in that game, and you know, good luck to you, you know, with your future. Hope uh, hope you continue to see your minutes increase and. Uh, and everything works out for you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you know both of you all for having me on and giving me something to do for the past thirty minutes, man. Uh, <laughs> pretty much made my day. Because if not, I just would have probably been doing nothing on my phone. So I was glad to good to talk to someone, man. Talk to you all about some good memories as well. So I thank you all for that. Hopefully, hopefully I didn't go too long or whatnot, but. Um, I'm definitely thankful for the you know opportunity to talk to you all. It is reminiscent. I appreciate it. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Antonius. No problem. No problem. I'll take care. And so that was our interview with Antonius Cleveland earlier in the week. And when talking to him, TJ, well, first off, I hope everybody enjoyed the interview with him as it was obviously a completely different aspect of what we've had in previous uh, episodes because we've had a lot of coaches um, – you know, 
broadcasters and stuff like that. And the only player we really had was uh, Kelly from Tennessee Martin. But Antonius was our first professional player we've had on and currently playing in the NBA. So I really enjoyed hearing what he had to say. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me was when he talked about, you know, why didn't he transfer? And just that simply mentioning, you know, the grass isn't always greener. He was really happy where he was. He kind of liked, you know, the position he had at SEMO and didn't want to risk that for, you know, what might be better, but it might be worse. You know, kind of that old uh, one in the hands better than two in the bush old saying. And, you know, he definitely took that. I think he even said was that the grass isn't always greener. I, and I, that's something that, you know, I hadn't really thought of. And I, I was, it was interesting to hear that perspective. So I really thought that was a, a interesting thing to hear from him. Absolutely. Yeah. When you, when you hear that kind of take on it, it just kind of makes you really think because right now, and I'm glad we talked about it with him because obviously he had the NBA talent and and most players at a mid-major conference in these last couple of years, they're flying out of that mid-major school into a bigger school to try and give themselves a better chance, whether it's going to help them or, you know, it could hurt their chances depending on playing time, you know, et cetera. But you haven't really heard that kind of take. And it makes a lot of sense, and I'm kind of glad to see some some look at it that way. But he also... What I also liked that he said was, you know, I was kind of the guy at SEMO. I liked being you right. know, that guy that, you know, could carry the team. And, right. and, you know, he did that. And the one thing that I like to try and tell people is, you know, if you're good, you're good. They're going to find you. This is 2020. You know, there is so much out there, whether it's on the, you know, the Internet, social media. You know, so much stuff goes on on Twitter that you can you can watch a video on your lunch break and you didn't have to you don't even have to type in espn.com or whatever the case may be to look at a highlight right you can just see it on twitter yep so for sure yeah but that the other thing yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry go ahead nope i was gonna say the other thing that stood out maybe on a more personal level is i hope no one well i hope everybody listens to it but the thing that stands out to me is if someone the right people heard it he's gonna have a lot of makeup to do with a one-year-old back home and he's been sleeping the whole time <laughs> during the uh his time at the bubble he's just like you know my phone take a nap go eat lunch take a nap and somebody's gonna be like hey you've been sleeping for the last how many weeks you can take care of of the baby now <laughs> yeah he yeah he might get put to work right when he gets back <laughs> <laughs> i think that's uh that will happen without a doubt but uh so we'll get into our segment here on our Mount Rushmore of coaches from the 2010 decade. And TJ, I'll let you go first with your first one from the Missouri Valley. Well, first and foremost, I, I went with Greg Marshall, Wichita State. I know obviously they left the league after the 2017 season, but up until that point, they went to six NCAA tournaments in the 2010s, including their you know well-known Final Four run. They also had a Sweet 16 run. So I think just that success alone, you know, I put some in, in, in the upper echelon of coaches of all time in the Missouri Valley Conference, much less the 2010s. I think this was a, a pretty easy one for me. That you know, obviously, Lee was sad to see him go, but. <clears throat> Because of the success they had under Greg Marshall, that's re- the reason they were able to make that jump to the next conference. So I thought that one was a pretty simple one to, to start with. How about you? 
So the first one I had, and as you had a you know pretty slam dunk one for your first one, I thought this was a no-brainer. You had to go with the longtime Belmont coach, Rick Bird. And right. Right when they came into the Ohio Valley, I mean, it they, they took off. It was an unbelievable stretch they had during, you know, those – those years uh, in the OVC while he was there. He was there from 2013 to 2019, uh, collected 168 wins during that span, only 62 losses. So he had a 730 winning percentage. Uh, regular season champion five times, conference tournament champion twice, and made the NCAA tournament you know, three times. And during that stretch, there was just one year where – Belmont was not the regular season champion or the conference tournament champion. And that lone year was the 2017-2018 year, and they still went 24-9. and Wow. So the success Rick Bird had, and not to mention he ended his, before he retired, he got that NCAA tournament win against Temple as a in the playing game. Uh, I mean, his career at Belmont during that stretch uh, was incredible and therefore was worthy of that number one spot for sure yeah i think that was that like you said that was another slam dunk one to to put on your list so the second one for me i think uh largely becomes of their postseason success is porter moser from loyola coming into the season he was 500 in league play but this year bumped him up above that. He's 67 and 59 in league play. But I think that 2018 final four run just made it really easy to put him on this list and, you know, kind of put, uh, kept the Missouri Valley conference in the national spotlight and definitely put Loyola in the national spotlight as well. Mm-hmm. So I think they came kind of became the class of the conference and who everyone's kind of chasing now, uh, in terms of, filling that void after Wichita State and Creighton left. Well, I mean, the success that he had, that he's had there, especially that, you know, that Cinderella run, I mean, that's that has to be, you know, out of this decade of coaches that we're putting in here, it's got to be the best run out of, you know, any coach that we will mention. You know, even, uh, you know, even Greg Marshall, you know, in his times. So kind of came out of nowhere, too, in my opinion. You know, I think there were some people that wondered if Loyola was the right fit for the league. And then, you know, really kind of took off that year in 2008-17-18 season and made some noise. Yeah, I remember uh, during that run, we had, uh, you know, coaching up at the high school doing baseball practice. And and obviously, you know, it's March Madness, so I'm checking my phone here and there when we have a break. And everybody's, all the kids are wanting to know what's loyal doing or are they winning or what's going on? Are they, are they losing? I'm like, no, they're, they won again. And the kids like, right. you're, you're kidding me. That just yeah. blew up my bracket. I'm like, well, you know, I, sorry to tell you, but this is a heck of a run and I hope it goes all the way. Yep. So and it's always, it's always fun to see teams that you kind of know, you know, being a fan of the Valley or the Ohio Valley in your case, you kind of know them a little bit better and you see it happening. You know, where everyone else is surprised, like, hey, I've been watching these guys all year. So, yeah, it's always a lot of fun. So second on my list is Steve Prome, coached at Murray State from 2012 to 2015. And during his time there, he had a record of 104 and 29, which calculated out to a 782 winning percentage. 
that's unbelievable. An unbelievable career at Murray State, which led to regular regular season champion all four years. Now, he did only make the NCAA tournament one year, and that was during the 2011-2012 season. And that was when they went 31-2, and and they got as high as ninth in the AP poll and finished 12th in the AP poll that year. Which is fantastic for a mid-major. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, because you, you rarely see a mid-major get that high and, and basically stay at that level because their only loss during the regular season was against Tennessee State, who had, I believe, Robert Covington on that team, who's now in the NBA. Um, but two of the four years he had Murray State ranked uh, at some point in the AP poll, one one in the NCAA tournament during the 2011-12 season with a win over Colorado State. So Good stuff. Yeah, that's he's number two on mine. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, not as not as good as Rick Bird, but probably could have been had he stayed at Murray State longer. But right. as long as Bird was there, he had to go one. Yeah. Well, third on my list is Ben Jacobson from Northern Iowa. Uh, if you want to count the 2010 tournament, you could say he went to three NCAAs or two NCAAs. He's had uh, kind of the same thing. He's had uh, three player of the years in the league with Adam Cook or Adam Coke. I forget how to say it pro- properly. Seth Tuttle and A.J. Green. And uh, he's been coach of the year multiple times. And I think, you know, since Barry Henson has moved on from Southern Illinois, he's kind of taken on that that name of Dean of the Valley and I think he's kind of that guy that kind of sets the standard all the other coaches all the other programs want a guy like Ben Jacobson it's just kind of that steady influence that he's had there been able to continue things at Northern Iowa so uh, I, again I he's probably one of my favorite coaches in the league to watch he always <clears throat> impressed by his teams and just the way they they play night in and night out so that's who I had at number three okay for number three I got Jacksonville State's head coach Ray Harper, still currently at Jacksonville State. Uh, 2017 to 2020 was the uh, seasons of record that were taken into consideration. 80 and 56 overall record, 588 winning percentage. Uh, One conference tournament championship, and that's what led them to the NCAA tournament appearance during his first year there when they played Louisville. Uh, 320 win seasons and also has two wins in the CBI tournament. Now, this is a this is a guy that obviously could uh, you know, work his way up the, you know, the OVC, you know, the career wins there if he ends up staying there. I know this past year they end up ha- they had a losing record so kind of took a step back, but his, you know, three seasons prior, I mean, it, it was as good as really anybody when it came to uh you know, the defense and making the Ohio Valley teams earn their win, whether it was at home or on the road. And Antonius even mentioned that during his interview. Right. He said, you know, that when we asked him who his, you know, who the toughest player was, you know, that guarded him during his career, he really didn't have a player. He just said Jacksonville State. Yeah. And he even, you know, mentioned basically Ray Harper saying that his defense was, you know, you know, unbelievable. Right. I was just going to say that, man, that Coach Harper would have Antonius Cleveland's vote after we just spoke to him. So, you know, it fits right in with that. And the guy that's still there, and, you know, is he happy where he's at to kind of build something, a la Rick Bird, or is he looking to move on? So we'll see. You know, this last season was not much movement in terms of coaching, largely because of 
everything that was going on sure. outside of our control with uh, COVID scares and stuff like that. So for sure. My next one uh, is Dan Muller from Illinois State. <clears throat> a lot of people know that Illinois State has the longest uh, streak without or the longest streak of having not reached the NCAA tournament. And Muller has been there for most of that. Uh, this last year, I felt like it was kind of a back uh, a backslide for them. It's 87 and 63 in uh, since he took over in 2012 in the Valley and 149 and 117 overall. Uh, to me, I look back at I think it was the 2017 season where it felt like they should have really gotten into the tournament when they went uh, 17 and one in league play and you know four showing against Wichita State in the final probably burst their bubble for lack of a better term but I think Dance had them right there this whole time and I, I really expect a step forward from them this season under Coach Muller well, and, so. and it seems like most in most seasons that he's been at the helm there you know they're usually pretty competitive yeah they, right. they've had you know a season here and there where you know the Illinois State faithful may not have been happy with how things went but more times than not he's had that team at you know a high level being very competitive right. in the Missouri Valley and playing well in you know against non-conference opponents. Yep. So I, I like I said, I definitely think that they're going to take a step forward this next season. So I wouldn't expect them to have a season like they did last year. So who rounds out your top four? So number four on my list, and I'm going to tell you right now, I can already hear people saying this once they listen to it. Oh my gosh, this guy's just biased. You know, he just because he likes SEMO or grew up watching SEMO, this and this. But really, no, I mean, Dickie Nutt was there from 2009, 2015. Enjoyed the interview when he was on. And really, what I, what was in the consideration for me, and I looked at some other, you know, other coaches too for this spot on the list, but there were a couple that are either still coaching like Matt figure at Austin P um, within time. I mean, he'll probably be deserving of a spot, but you know, he hasn't coached there that many years at this point. Um, but Dickie nut. Yeah. He, he didn't get SEMO to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's, it's a fact it, people know that, but what he did for the program was pretty remarkable, honestly. And for, you know, myself at watching it closely, you know, over the years, he took over a program that was literally a laughing stock in the NCAA, you know, Division One level. They right. were literally rocking sanctions, and yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't it was definitely an uphill battle for him from the get go. Exactly, they were rock bottom when he took over. Out of three hundred and like fifty fifty one teams, they were coming off a three win season. In his first year there, they got seven wins, so a slight improvement. But then after that first year, things just kind of took off. Um, he he made the the OVC tournament the last five years he was there, and during that stretch, uh, he had back to back winning seasons during the 2012, 2013, and 2013 14 campaigns, and that's the first time Simo has had back to back winning seasons since the 1999 2000 year and 2000 2001 seasons. So that's unbelievable. So for a guy to take over a program like that and yeah, he, he, they may not have made the NCAA tournament like the other three coaches did. He made it to where at least SEMO was going to give these other you know, teams that were considered elite in the conference a game instead of it being right. a pushover. And 
that's where I, I felt he was deserving of a spot as he really rebuilt the uh, program. Yeah. I, you know, I think you just made a great case for him right there. Anyone wants to say you're biased or not took somebody, a program that was, you know, had nothing going for him and made it at least an enviable job for the next guy. You know, it wasn't building it from the scraps. Exactly. So that's our that's our Mount Rushmore for the 2010 decade, and uh, I think next week we'll be doing, you know, the the decade prior to that. So we'll have a different group of coaches in there, um, and I think at, right now as we have it planned out, we'll do the decade prior to this one next episode, and then we'll do one from like 1990 to 2000, um, and those will be the three that we'll do and. Maybe after that one, we'll just do our Mount Rushmore for who we think would be, you know, the top four in our opinion for those, you know, 30 years or what have you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but that'll basically uh, wrap up the episode, uh, TJ. You got any final thoughts? Nope. Uh, just hope uh, everyone has a good week and uh, we'll look forward to bringing you some more news next time. Yeah, so uh, next next week's episode, I already gave you the tease about the uh, Mount Rushmore of coaches, but we'll also have former Missouri State head coach and current Creighton assistant coach uh, Paul Lusk on. Looking forward to the interview with him. I know, TJ, you've you've talked to him in the past, and I know you're excited to uh, have him on. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely one of uh, what I would consider one of my basketball heroes, and uh, maybe we'll get into that a little bit when uh, we talk to Paul next time. So for TJ Hoover, I'm Chris Smith. That'll wrap up episode 15 here on View of the Valleys. And a special thanks to Antonius Cleveland for taking time out of his out of his day or in the week when we caught up with him to uh, take time to and to join join the show. Uh, but for the two of us, that'll wrap it up. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple. And if if you have a second, maybe give us a rating on there. Uh, I'd like to see the input on there. You know, if you think we're a one star out of five, give us a one star. But if you think it's, you enjoy listening, give us a five out of five so we uh, so we know people are out there, uh, you know, enjoying what's going on here. Be sure to follow us on Twitter as well at View Valleys Pod. As always, enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.